Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bougay, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Not much, Chris. It's it's a great day to talk about AAC. Yeah, it always is, right? Always. Uh, I've been doing presentations the last couple of days in Montana, not really in Montana, doing it digitally. And part of that has been talking about AAC, and it's great. You know, it's like, um, it, it just feels like you're talking to your people. You know what I mean? What about you? What have you been up to? Well, first, let me just remark on Montana. I saw a grizzly bear in Montana once, and it was really scary. <laughs> I was camping with my brother. Yeah, Montana's beautiful. I love Montana. I feel like I could like totally move there, like go off the grid and like be super happy, just like waking up next to these beautiful, gorgeous mountains. Um, but yeah, we saw a grizzly bear and it was really scary. Yeah, it was. I was totally bummed because um, I was supposed to go there, of course, and do two days of training uh, and, you know, being the, the presenter for two days of training. And then we were trying, Melissa and I and the kids were trying to see if we could squirrel some sort of you know vacation out of it as well uh because i've never been to montana they've never been to montana so getting you know this whole uh, people have it a lot worse than i do but it was a bummer not to go to montana you know i really wanted to go explore yeah no glacier national parks there super gorgeous i love going to different national parks and i feel like glacier is one that i definitely would go back to and i don't i can't say that about all of them i mean i think eventually i might cycle back to all of them but I like to like keep exploring and going to new parks, but I loved Glacier so much and it was just so beautiful. And it's amazing that we have all of this like majestic mountains and all of these beautiful landscapes in our own, kind of in our own backyard, in our own country. Are, are you done rubbing it in? Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, I want to talk to you about this, this new client that I have and I'm really excited, but I'm also kind of disheartened. I just want to like talk through it. Let's like have like a event session on the podcast um, where I can kind of talk about the situation. So uh, I'm working with a 19 year old student and the student came to me having a device, but not having used it ever and has been getting services by the way, since they were, I think three years old, like very like early uh, services, has a diagnosis of autism. Anyway, fast forward, now the student's 19 and I was contacted by their family and um, they were interested in kind of trying to either get a new device or they, they knew that um, they wanted to do something with technology or figure out why, you know, their son wasn't using the device that they currently had. This student is non-speaking, but has quite a bit of signs. Um, so his family signs with him and he signs back. Um, I'd say maybe he has like 30 to 40 signs. He actually has more signs than I know. He's signing during some of our sessions and I'm like, what's he saying? <laughs> like, I don't know that sign. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's kind of the backstory. I eventually uh, opened my office for assessment only and because I have so many like kids on wait, uh, basically a wait list because I haven't you know been seeing anyone in person due to the pandemic. So I opened um, just for assessments. I'm like all geared up. I feel like I'm wearing like a hazmat suit when I like do these assessments now. Um, it's quite cumbersome. Um, not really like as naturalistic as I'd like it to be, but nevertheless, I'm able to work one-on-one -on -one and kind of do some trialing and, and see students that I haven't seen yet for consultations and full AAC assessments. 
So anyway, I had the family come in and it was amazing, Chris. This student has so much potential. He was showing me that he could type. He picked it up super quickly. As soon as I modeled something, he was able to like, you know, find it. He was navigating through multiple layers. I'm excited because I'm like, yes, like this kid has a lot of potential and I can't wait to keep like keep working with him because it's like kids like that where you're like, wow, like I can't wait to like do this session because I know like every single thing I teach you, you're just going to pick up and run with it. But then the other side of the coin is why is he 19 years old, has a device and like this was like, it was never utilized. And so I feel like I've been struggling with this whole, like this case, because I'm like, so sad that like, you know, it wasn't implemented correctly and, you know, a little bit more information on the device. It just wasn't set up in a way that supported motor planning or was easy to navigate. What's funny is actually I kept the same system. I just like completely like reorganized it and you know, in a way to support motor planning, mostly I did some color coding and, um, just visually made it a little bit easier to access. And I'm just like, I'm kind of baffled. Like what, like, I don't understand what was happening like for the last, you know, 15 years for this student. <laughs> and so I'm just like stuck. Cause I'm like, I mean, I'm excited. Obviously I'm happy. And, and I think this is a testament to you know, there's no age limit, right? Like mm-hmm. you can always start using technology to help support communication. Um, Cause that's oftentimes when I get calls for uh, students who are older, parents are like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like, is it too late? I'm like, no, it's definitely never too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is a perfect example, but you know, oh, man, like what a bummer that like we're now we're starting from ground zero. Like, can you imagine if we you know, had the supports in place and the implementation, all the things that were needed, um, you know, where this, where the student would be right now. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, I don't know, I I feel like I keep circling back to it and I'm like, kind of like fixated on it in the way that's like, not, I don't know, really productive for me. So tell us the story of what the parents say this story was. I, I, I could hear multiple stories, right? You probably, I, I know of kids that have moved from therapist to therapist or teacher to teacher, and that is why systems did not get put in place or kept getting switched. In this case, it's just not getting placed in general. So is it a matter of transitions happening all the time, or did they have one person that just did not know what they were doing and didn't really embrace that as a as an intervention? Um, what's the, what is the mom or parents in general describe the situation as a uh, history here? So basically it was like, yeah, we got this device and like he never wanted to use it, which I feel mm-hmm. like is the number one thing I hear. Like they sure. just don't use it. And I'm like, well, of course they don't use it if they're not seeing anyone else use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's this like un- this, this notion that we'll give a student a device and they'll just like, constantly find it and tell us what they want. And you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. just like, well, no, no, there's like lots of steps in between that. Um, and there's so much teaching that is involved. And, um, I don't know. I just, I hear that all the time from families because what's funny is that actually most of my referrals, the student already has a device. And so it's like, what I do is see what the device is, see how it's working, see how it's set up, because that's the number one problem I see oftentimes is like, we're just like not setting up these devices to support long-term use and motor planning. 
And, and, and also it's just like, it's visually hard to access when you have like, you know, a grid of 16 buttons when you're like, this kid doesn't have access issues. Like why do we not have smaller icons and more white space around those icons? I understand not necessarily having all the words to start with, but, you know, to support motor planning, I feel like not only does it help with longevity, but it also just helps like I think visually when you look at a screen, it's not as overwhelming as when you have, you know, 16 buttons stacked on top of each other and you're really reliant a lot on, of course, the visual attention and visual discrimination. Does the mom explain the last time they brought him to a therapist? I mean, has it been like, well, you know, we this was four years ago it's been sitting here. So it, it might sound like you know, 15 years since he's had something, or maybe it's not, maybe it's like, no, I just brought him someplace else two months ago and you're my next person, you know? Yeah. It's been a long time. I think what happened was they probably got excited for the device. And then when it didn't work and I'm putting that in air quotes, it didn't work. Mm. (laughs) Um, Then it was like, oh, well, I guess we'll just kind of, you know, fall back to what we're used to, which is just using sign language. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting Mm -hmm. though is what the motivation, because this was years ago, he got the device. So what's interesting to me is like, what's the motivation now, which I'm still Mm kind of getting to to the bottom of. I think that this family had some type of interaction with someone in the tech world, like the tech startup world, and was like, oh, like, have you ever thought about like getting a device? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like, and this specific student has a lot of intention. Like he, I'm talking like he's pointing, he's looking, like he has a lot to say and you can tell because he's super intentional with his pointing, his looking, his, he'll, he'll grab your hand and like take you somewhere. It's amazing to see. And it's like, okay, like we really need to give this kid language. So anyway, the family had an interaction with someone in like the tech world. Um, so I, who I think saw the potential in this student and was mm-hmm. like, have you ever thought about like something high tech to help him? And I'm sure then the conversation was like, well, yeah, he has a device. So anyway, and then they found me and I'm really excited because, you know, he is just super fun to work with. He actually just had a birthday and it was the first time they kind of brought the device out with the whole family. And dad actually was telling me that uh, he was using the device and, you know, he answered how old he was and um, he said something like blow out candles or I I forget exactly what he was saying, but like he said, it was like everyone in the room was like crying (laughs) because like they were so like excited and happy. And I think that that like sense of like excitement and hope, um, that's such a great feeling. And it's exciting to be a part of that because I feel like, Everybody is like so excited at the potential because again, he has so much potential. He's already communicating so much with us. Now it's just a matter of like teaching him how to use the device and the language behind the things that he could be saying to comment and, you know, ask questions and answer questions and all those things. All right. A couple of follow-up questions here. Uh, Because of the pandemic, are you seeing him distance learning wise? Basically, the way I set it up with families who already have a device, I don't do like a full assessment. It's more like diagnostic therapy. So it's like, okay, like, let me see, because it takes some time, as you know, um, to trial systems and figure out what's the right fit. It's kind of an evolutionary process. So I have seen this family um, three times in person. 
I think that I could probably transition to telepractice with this family. Maybe after like one or two more sessions, we're still, I'm doing a lot of training um, with the family and they're having a hard time. Like they're like, we're not tech people. And I'm like, it's okay. Like we will, we will learn together. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has been a lot easier to just like show them and have them practice and see the the interactions. Um, I think once we get more kind of solidified with those foundational things, I think then I can transition them to telepractice, which is what I was doing. That's typically what I do in my practice. Way before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of virtual uh, coaching and training and things like that because a lot of what we do can be done virtually. So am I hearing correctly that what will happen is a couple more sessions with direct uh, d- direct interaction, you and the student, but then when you move to distance learning or telepractice, you I call it distance learning because that's what we use in our neck of the woods, but uh, you know what I mean, that it'll you'll transition then to more of a coaching model where you'll get the parents like, all right, let's do some shared reading. Let's do activities together that are you already do in your natural environment and your natural scheme of things. And now Rachel will be there and I'm going to coach you through what to say. Is that your sort of plan? Yeah, that is my plan. Um, I also, he has such great foundational literacy skills, but he still, I think, could benefit from more like intensive like literacy. And so part of me is like, oh, like I need to get this kid a tutor, like someone who I can like train up and be like, do all these things with him (laughs) because he's so smart. And so that's kind of my next like goal is because like, I want to see, he can already type. Um, He was able to, I like showed him a picture of like his cat and I was like, what is this? And then, then I pulled the keyboard up and he struggled with some, he struggles with the vowels, you know, but he's able to, he's definitely able to see a word and then copy that word and type it out. So anyway, I feel like building that out, I kind of, again, I feel like there's a lot of ground to be covered here and a lot of like time that we've missed. So I'm like really eager to like do as much as I can for this family because again, he's super smart and hardworking and I just want to see him succeed and to be able to read and type. Uh, more follow-up questions. Was he in school uh, learning literacy, like learning the, 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 you know, the sounds of the letters and decoding and all of that stuff? Um, Chris, apparently he was in school, but like, I'm not quite sure what happened. So yes, he was in school. So that's part of my, like the bad taste, taste in my mouth. I'm like, what has happened? Like, mm-hmm. it's just so, yeah, it's just really disappointing for me. And I realized that like, we can't all have the best experiences. We can't all do all the things, but it's just like sad to think that this whole student's journey, no one like sat down and was able to, you know, do these things because I don't see, like, I, I, I realize there's roadblocks sometimes when you're teaching and some students have, you know, severe learning disabilities or cognitive deficits or all these things, attention problems um, that can kind of impede a child's ability to learn. But like what I'm seeing with this kid is like, just like great potential. Like he has great attention. He works hard. Like he's eager to learn. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm just All like those barriers that other kids might have. He doesn't have. So it's less barriers to break down. Right. Like if I, if he presented like, wow, he's like barely, you know, looking at me and like, he keeps getting up and trying to do something else. Then I'd be like, oh, well, you know, maybe that was hard. Like it, he had a hard time learning, but like everything I'm seeing from this kid is like, he's super, he's a super fast learner. He's really hardworking. He has great attention. So I'm like, 
<laughs> What's the deal here? <laughs> uh, so do you envision him participating in some sort of structured reading program? Is that what you're getting with the tutoring? Like, let's do some Orton Gillingham or whatever, Edmark, or I don't know, some sort of reading program that uh, takes him structured through it, you know? I mean, I would love to, I'm still kind of assessing his literacy, um, but yes, I would love to see something like that. And what's so sad is that I think by the time parents get to uh, having a child who's 19, they've kind of given up on that. They're like, oh, we're typing, reading, what? And I'm like, yeah, typing, reading, like, let's do this. Like we can do this. Um, he showed me instantly that like he was able to do this, but he yeah. just needs more help with like sound to letter correspondence, you know? So, and it's like, that is where I feel like we need to spend some of our energy. Um, you know, of course I'm helping him within his daily routines. This kid loves to clean of all things. He's like really into cleaning, which is so funny. So like I've added things to his device, like fold laundry, like clean, like wipe table, um, put away. Um, cause I, I basically said to the family, I said, listen, like, I want you to spend the next week going through watching him point and pull you and do all these things. And I want you to write down what you think he would say if he had the words. Uh -huh. That's like a strategy that I use with families. And so they came back with this lesson. It was like, put away. They're like, yeah, he's like really like crazy about us, like putting things away. Like we have spices on the counter and like he'll point to the spices and he'll point to the cabinet. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, let's add put away. <laughs> so anyway, it's been like really interesting and, and, and funny a little bit, like what I'm programming on his device, because most of it is just like cleaning things and like organizing, but you know, like that's what he, that's what he wants to say. That's what he's pointing to. That's what he's intrinsically motivated to, to say. So I'm going with it. Totally. Totally. Do you envision him using an AAC system that is more um, text-based, meaning that someday he'll have, um, you know, some words that he's, that are some symbols that are full words, but then others that he uses maybe word prediction, you know, is that, you see that as a, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would love that. I still need to learn more about where he's at with reading and literacy, but yes, I think that like he would do really well with something like that. I think we can use his current devices like a stepping stone because right now he's like, he's still signing everything. So like, and, and his signs sometimes are like approximations. Dad the other day was like, I don't know if anybody else recognizes that as, you know, whatever he was trying to sign. Sure. <laughs> and, and I'm like, exactly. So like, we need everyone to understand what he has to say. I have another follow-up question, Rachel, and that is, um, you said you spent some time restructuring the AAC device. I would imagine that most people now do just whatever comes out of the box. You know what I mean? You set up Prolo Quo, you, Lampards for Life come set up, speak for yourself. Like these things are all well designed so that you are not having to like program and decide where words go. You know what I mean? So tell us a little bit about that. Like what did you have to move around as opposed to going back to a default, if you will? The biggest thing is just changing the grid size. His grid size was too small. There was not enough words on the page, which just lends itself to way too much navigating. Like mm -hmm. I have to go like 10 folders deep to get to something like that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, also, there was no core words. 
So no, thank you. Gotcha. <laughs> is what I have to say <laughs> to that. <laughs> did, did you end up just like resetting it to a default and then changing the gotcha, gotcha? It's not like you were programming something from scratch and moving things around. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay, I yeah. went back to a, more of a template. I I've like customized. I customize some of the templates now, like for the different systems, because there's like a few tweaks that I like to make. But yeah, I just like kind of went back to. The, the drawing board. <laughs> yeah, I was right. like, I don't know what this is, but clearly you don't use it. And I wouldn't use it if I, if I were you either. So let's just like move on. Well, it sounds like really exciting. Like, I mean, like you said, you're going to have to check back in with the student and see where the, the progress goes here because man, he sounds like he's on the verge, like he's on the way. And really, although it sounds like, man, like you said, 19 years and he hasn't really been using this and no one's really been teaching it. Another perspective or way to flip it is, if he passes away at the age of 90, he's still got 70 years to go, man, right? Then there's 70 years to learn and to keep growing language. So he's still got plenty of time, he's, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I have to say that, like, his family is so wonderful. Like, when I first did the initial, like, call, when I, I'll do a, you know, free 15-minute phone call with families who are interested in working together, and I ended up, like, staying longer on this phone call because this family was so wonderful, and they were like, we just, like, we just want to talk with him. We just want to know what's going on inside of his brain. Like, we feel like he has so much to say, and we're just wondering if technology could help, you know, support that and support our ability to talk with him. And they were like, we don't, and, and, and of course I was like, oh, like, are you getting any other teacher services, anything else? They're like, no, it's just us. And like we, cause I, I of course talk about the fact that I'm, I, I'm, it's a collaborative approach when you work with me. Like I don't, I don't work in like a silo. I like always work with the whole team and they're like, well, like here's his team. <laughs> and so it was so sweet because the family is so eager to learn what to do in order to help him and in order to communicate with him. Um, so it was just like such a great, such a great conversation. And I was really excited to meet this family and then, you know, they had to wait what, four or five months as we went through this pandemic. Uh, but I'm happy that I was able to finally see them uh, in my office and get the ball rolling. Like I said, he sounds like he's, he's on his way, and I cannot wait to hear more about him in the future. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm excited. I'll definitely have to circle back and tell you guys how he's doing. So, Chris, what's our interview about today? Yeah, okay. So today the interview is with Lauren Kravitz Bonnet uh, and Brittany Thomas, who are work in a neighboring county to mine. Uh, so we're buddies from like working in the same sort of area, you know, in the Northern Virginia area. And they're going to talk about communication circles, and which is a, a concept from Caroline Musselwhite about working with uh, peers more specifically, you know, working with the um, uh, helping uh, people become better communicators partners by working with the peers that the student works with. So uh, they have some really innovative stuff that they've been doing uh, pre-pandemic, but then they talk about that as well. So, you know, really fun interview here with people that are actually boots on the ground doing some amazing work. Really excited for this one. I, You know I love like peer support. I feel like that's the best way to get in with our students is to help train up the peers. And um, I love, I just actually posted on my social media a post um, all about slang and like how we should program slang words into devices um, because I, there's nothing that fosters more quick peer acceptance 
than like having some cool thing or cool phrase in the device. And um, it was funny because people were like, I, I posted and I asked like, what's, you know, let's like all learn together. Like what's the, the latest and greatest like slang? And people were responding with things. I was like, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Clearly I'm not that cool. <laughs> so anyway, I'm a big fan of the peer acceptance and uh, the peer uh, supporting peer networks because I feel like that's such a, such a game changer. It can happen so quickly when, you know, we teach the, the circle of peers how to engage with AAC users. So without further ado, let's listen to this interview with Lauren Kravitz-Bonnet and Brittany Thomas. Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with two people that live very, very close to me. I've got Lauren Bonnet and Brittany Thomas. Lauren, Brittany, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great yeah, to have you. Yeah, we're so, so excited, excited to be, to be here. here. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's tell people, who are you, and what do you do, and where do you live? Um, I'm Lauren Bonnet, and I live in Arlington, Virginia, not far away from you, Chris. And um, actually, Brittany and I live a block away from each other, so so we're really close. <laughs> um, I am a speech and language pathologist by training and an assistive technology specialist for um, the public schools here in Arlington. And um, I work with students who have complex communication needs, and mostly I, I work directly with students, but um, a lot of my job is supporting families and teachers um, in their practice and in their instruction. Cool. And Brittany, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Brittany Thomas, and I am a speech and language pathologist, like Lauren said, also in Arlington, Virginia. I work in um, a special program within APS um, that services students pretty much, I pretty much service only students with um, communication devices. So I have a caseload of mostly AAC users. Wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, how did that come about? We had this, um, yeah, we had this program. Actually, interestingly, um, many moons ago, um, we piloted the program. It's called the communication program, and we started it for students who have significant communication needs as a short-term, um, high-intensity intervention so that students could learn to effectively use their AAC mode of communication um, with uh, in a co-taught model. So 50% of um, the day, the speech and language pathologist co-treats and co-teaches with the special education teacher. So it's high intensity. Um, it's meant for students to be in just for a short period of time, you know, in terms of it's usually school years because we work in a school. Um, so, you know, a year, two years, and then move back to their home school once they um, have learned their communication system. And we've set some supports in place. Um, so I, uh, we started the program, let's see, about 
I don't know, 12 to 15 years ago. And I started um, in the first one that we piloted, then it was wildly popular. <laughs> and we expanded to two classes. So we had a K-1-2 and a 3-4-5. Um, and, and we're looking to, um, actually 3-4-5 we started over the last decade has become less relevant and more early intervention has become more relevant. So a pre-K class and a K-1-2 class is what we're evolving to. Gotcha. And, that, and it, let me just ask, Lauren, this is what you were telling me about the other day when we originally said, hey, you got to come on the podcast and talk about this, is the, the development of this program. Yes. So how, what made, what was the impetus? Why design it this way? Um, there was a need for some students who needed some specialized supports that, um, you know, 10 and 15 years ago, there was only a few people that knew about AAC in a school division. And um, we looked at the really, um, the high intensity need of those students and it kind of developed from there. But as we're building capacity and we're looking at more inclusive models, it's I don't know, the pendulum is swinging the other way. So um, we're moving away from, um, it's not a self-contained program anymore um, as it once was when it first started. So um, what Brittany does, um, Brittany, I'll let you talk about it. There's um, the students um, receive that high level of support, but in an integrated setting. So they're not just in a special education classroom. They receive that co-teaching model in general education with with speech support um, for a huge portion of their day. Yeah, Brittany, tell us all about it. So what, is your, what does it look like and what does your day look like? Yeah, so the classrooms are kind of, like Lauren said, going through a transition right now. The pendulum is kind of swinging towards now a lot more people are interested in AAC and, and, and becoming more aware of it and want the training. So I have one classroom right now that does sort of operate as a more self-contained classroom, and I co-teach in that classroom with the special education teacher. Um, we plan together, we choose a core word of the week that we focus on, and we do all sorts of different activities um, with that. But then I also push in and support math time and reading time and writing time and um, really train the assistants and the teacher in the program on how to provide aided language stimulation and um, all sorts of modeling supports. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this correctly. There's the, this is a special special ed program where you're going in and doing that support, but then there's also uh, a part of it that is into the general ed program. Help, help me yes. understand uh, the difference so, there. So the transition, it's kind of complicated right now because it truly is a transition period. Then we have a, um, a pre-K classroom that is, um, has the capacity to hold six students without IEPs and six students with IEPs. And so I also push into that classroom. Um, and I think that's the way that the model is tending to swing right now is is integrating more um, peers for peer modeling and support and so I push into that classroom also and support AAC users in that capacity um, so they're two kind of there's they're the same sort of program but um, the classrooms look a little different right now during this transition phase mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um when you were putting it together uh, and you were coming up with this kind of this this model, um, how do you evaluate effectiveness? I mean, is it, um, well, we kind of see how it's going or did you do some sort of research behind it? Do you know what I mean? Are you collecting? 
Sorry, did I ask that the wrong way? No, 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 I'm thinking, sorry, I'm processing. I can't, I guess I can't speak to how it initially started. I do know that we definitely are taking data. We have sort of like an entrance criteria and an exit criteria. Um, It's different for each student. That's one thing that we're not very good at is that we have to talk about like what the exit criteria would be. Really, the goal was that the student would learn how to use the communication device and, and be proficient or have an established mode of communication because when it started students were either like just had gone through evaluation and found a system that was promising for them but didn't have time to work on it so they needed this intensive time to work on it so um so we had looked at you know what are those you know those areas those Janice light areas of competencies or those skills that are needed, looking at linguistic competence and social competence and, you know, looking at all the different areas and, and kind of saying, all right, we, we have enough and we've built enough that the student um, doesn't need the same level of support, that same intensive, like 50% of the day is co-taught by an SLP. Um, and now we, we're building capacity that more and more classrooms don't need that because we have teachers that are modeling all the time and they they know about how to do AAC interventions. They know how to overlay literacy, communication, and AAC together because we've modeled that for them and built that. We've coached them to do those things. We've coached the peers in the class to be able to do those things. So it's this transition is like we're sort of fading away this program because now we have what we need already in the student's home school and we don't need to have a specialized program anymore. So it's on the horizon, but it is still there, you know, for the time being to support the students um, who are in the program at this time. So. So let's talk about that because that is so exciting, right? That you have built this program and there's this transition happening to, to, to people owning it, right? So Brittany, what are some strategies? What have you done to help bridge that gap from going from the specialized program to people owning it? Yeah, it's totally exciting. Um, Initially, when I came into the program, so this is my third year with the program. And when I first came into the program, it was a place where kids usually entered at like kindergarten and stayed until fifth grade. But now we're really making this transition of looking at, is this the least restrictive environment? Does this child require a self-contained classroom that's co-taught by an SLP? And so as we're asking these questions, um, we're finding out that these kids are far more independent and are able to transition and and access their communication modalities across multiple settings, not just in this small, very therapeutic type of environment. Um, It has involved, I I would say building rapport with school staff is a huge part of my job. So I build rapport with many different people. You know, I go into music, I go into art, I go everywhere. I ask how I can support. And so I think when teachers see that I'm there to help them and that this isn't a barrier and that the device isn't super scary, um, they're more willing to use it and learn and seek information and ask questions when they're feeling stuck or overwhelmed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Lauren, you use the word coaching uh, as, as a part of it. And Brittany, that sort of sounds like what you're attempting to do in some aspects is, is okay, well, I'm here and I'm going to uh, coach you on how to use it. Is that fair? When, and is that working for you? Yeah, it's working great. Um, so, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, I had heard about a class that was 
um, being offered in our department of teaching and learning called cognitive coaching. And I was like, oh, you know, all of our um, instructional technology specialists, which are our like IT people in each building are like, you know, the old computer teacher, that's not a quote unquote, you're seeing me do air quotes because that's like a really old super term. But, um, you know, the, the person that's supporting instruction, instructional technology in each school. Um, so they were taking it as a cohort. And I'm like, wow, this is so great. You know, how, how can I get involved in this? And so then it, the class became more widely available. So a couple of years ago, uh, I guess about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, I took the first couple of days of it. And I don't know, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was like, this is what we have to do. This is what I've been trying to figure out how we can build capacity, build more self-directed and how I can meet each because I support the instructional staff. So I support the teachers and the paraeducators and the administrators to do this. And I'm like, how can I meet everybody at the level, you know, just a little bit above the level that they're learning at and have them come up with their own goals. And so through this process of collaborative thinking and in the education that I did, I feel like I got better armed with tools to be able to do this um, in job embedded, doing job embedded coaching. So looking at like, well, what are you hoping to achieve and asking some of these questions to lead them through how they can better plan and reflect on their practice. So, you know, what are you hoping to do? How do you know when you're going to get there? Like, how do you know that you've reached your goal? You know, what are some supports that you could do or what are some strategies you've used before that you might apply in this setting? You know, what do you need to think about in yourself as you're doing this? And, you know, how did it go? And so asking some of these questions in this way to lead people through um, their own learning. Um, so then it's not me, Lauren, saying, you know, you should do this. You should point to every word as you're saying it on the student's device. They're like thinking of it themselves. Oh, you know, hey, I think if I pointed, remember that thing you told me about if I point to each of the words on the device? Like I tried that with one word and it worked really well. I think I'm going to do two next week. But they're saying it themselves. So there's more ownership and, um, you know, it, it, it generalizes easier and there's, um, there's buy-in because they're coming up with the strategies themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a big advocate. I also been through cognitive coaching training, some some of it, but I, I had already, I was drinking the Kool-Aid when I learned about cognitive coaching. I had already been trying to shift my mindset from telling people what to do to asking people what to do and guiding them through these, these sorts of reflective questions, which I also agree makes it so uh, they own it so much more when they come up with the, the suggestion themselves. Did you find, Lauren, real quick, and, and Brittany too, if you'd like to chime in here, that it was tricky for you to learn or were you already that sort of person? Meaning most of our training as a speech therapist is about doing the therapy and being the direct person. I am going to, and then assistive technology on top of that, you just need X or you just need to touch the buttons. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to tell you what to do uh, because I know what to do. And so I'm going to tell you to do it. And the transition from that skill of let me just tell you what to do to, all right, let me ask you and guide you through and ask it in a way that you're going to come up with the answer on your own is a skill that takes practice, you know? So how did you learn it and, and what's your thoughts on it? Um, I thought it came more naturally than I expected. I think I, you know, in my own self-reflection about my own practice, like I had been the more controlling, like, oh, I'm going to just tell them what to do. And like, I know it, you know, yay, just like, listen to me. I, I like devoted all my time and efforts to learning about all these resources. And here I am as the consultant or the specialist, you know, 
and I really switched, you know, over time, but then I never had the cognitive coaching framework to think of it, you know, to guide my own thinking. And once I did, it just like clicked. I was like, of course, you know, that's what I've been trying to move to. And here's a systematic way that I can do it because I was having those great, um, super motivated teachers. They're going to be excellent learners. They're asking me what they can do next anyways. And those are the guys that were, you know, those teachers were my, they were flying with it. They were like, Lauren, come to my classroom. I went to your training, you know, your workshop. And then this is what I did in my classroom. So I had this small group of people that were doing it anyway. And for them, I just feel like it keeps upping their skills, like it, it ups the ante and then they can grow even more and it builds their leadership. So another thing about me is too, that is I did my PhD in special ed leadership. Um, so to me, I always had this like leadership, like how can we build more leadership? How can we, you know, teacher leaders, like what can we do to build people up? So this allows for that. Then I have my sort of fixed mindset or my non-responder group or my kind of like, Oh, only if I have to, you know, or like, they're like, things are going well. They're very good at the traditional methods of teaching. Many of their students are making progress, but, but I've been able to hook them by having them be the one that self-reflects and answer the question. So to me, I was like, well, that's great and all if I meet 80% of my learners, but what about the other 20%, you know, and anybody knows me like, you know, super, super motivated to get that group. And, you know, I want everybody to achieve at their highest level. So it helped me to capture that kind of traditional fixed mindset. And then it wasn't a fight. It wasn't like, oh God, I have to have a meeting with that teacher or that team, you know? And, and some of the hardest things have been through this process is watching a team maybe make a decision that I wouldn't have made. But then I'm like, I'm not there every day. I support them. And if they, A, know more about the student than I do because they're day in and day out with that student, they maybe have tried things that they haven't verbally shared with me that I'm unaware of. So maybe they've already come to some conclusions. And if they haven't, they'll try what they think is the best method. And then they'll reflect and they'll say, ah, now I see it. Now... I want to try something else. Mm -hmm. So when I think also in this process, I became a mother over the last six years. I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old. I got to say, like, it's life-changing because I do it with my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I have one child and like, we call him the stove toucher. I'm like, he's got to touch the stove until he knows that it's too hot. I could tell him a hundred times, you know, it's too hot or whatever. Um, of course, I don't let him really do that. But yeah. what do you think would happen if you touch the stove? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. What would you do different next time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, it, he just has to experience or reflect on that. So I think, I don't know, I do it all the time at home now and at school in my job. So it becomes more natural. Um, the first time that I did it, I kind of, I was supervising a clinical fellow and I said, I'm going to ask you some questions in a different way. And I said, I'm going to do some learning and you're going to do some learning in this process. But can you give me feedback on how this is working? And she gave some great feedback. Like, you're really making me think about my coursework from graduate school. And um, you're giving these things to think about. I can't answer that right now because I need more time to reflect. 
so these were good learning. Um, this was good feedback for me learning to be a cognitive coach that, you know, people maybe don't have that answer right away, but it's stimulated thinking mm -hmm. and that is moving them forward. And if you don't get any further, like you don't have to do a whole start to finish map or process, but if you start to get them thinking and reflecting on their own practice, that's going to serve you better when you come back to meet again. And Brittany, what's okay. your experience with coaching? Yeah, I, I totally agree with so much of what Lauren has said. I just recently did the first two days of cognitive coaching, so I'm still earlier in the process. And sadly, my uh, next two days got canceled because of school closure. But um, what I have found is I am a fixer, and so I am constantly trying to come in and fix for people. And I think people have learned that I'm a fixer, so they bring a lot of problems. Like, well, this isn't working so-and-so is doing this and I can't get them to do this and um what that has done for me though as a clinician is is had has created a, a larger burden that I feel like I always have to be that problem solver for every every issue that comes up and so I think that the cognitive coaching has helped me so much to realize that people are able to solve their own problems if you empower them so I think asking the questions the way that cognitive coaching has taught me to do has allowed me to help them realize that they also can be fixers. They also can be problem solvers. And I'm not there with them all the time. So if their ability to problem solve in the moment increases, then I can spend time, you know, dedicating to other things. And, and they also feel better. They feel more successful. They don't feel like, oh my gosh, this device is such a barrier. It's so hard. I can't even touch it. They know, you know, like they have the tools as well to, to support the kids. Yeah, yeah, totally. Chris, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like when I got started in AAC, they were like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, let's just give it to Chris or like, let's give it to Lauren and they'll like just program all this vocabulary. And like, that's how I got good at AAC devices, right? Is they brought it to me. I programmed all this content specific vocabulary, all these fringe words that were, you know, for that unit or whatever. And that's how I'd been trained. You know, that's what I learned. That was sort of what we were doing in AAC at the time. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, if, we'll just bring the device to Lauren. It's broken, you know. And so that's like when I first started in the communication program, they're like, Lauren is the only one that can do it. I'm thinking, what if I have a sick day or, you know, and it all fell apart. Mm -hmm. And so, so this was like a natural progression of, you know, as we're building capacity for everybody, like that you don't have to be the only one that can fix it, that it's good for multiple people to be able to, you know, do this and work with the devices. So we've changed as a practice too. We totally have. Well, I think we are changing, you know, we, yeah. we have changed and I think yeah. the, the country and the world is changing. So back in those days, I was a fixer as well. And I would, it, would, it felt so great. Like I would walk out of the classroom, get in the car to go to the next one. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I am so awesome. I am the man. I just fixed that thing and I can go home and sleep at night because I am so great, you know? And then I wouldn't see the carryover and it started to creep in like, what if I'm not so great? Like it feels great in the moment, but long-term I'm enabling them. I'm like the drug dealer, you know? I'm not empowering them to do it themselves. So am I enabling or am I empowering? And then it really took a, uh, no, I, I have to change who I am and change what I'm doing um, or they're never going to do it. You know, they're never going to own it. And there'll be a lot more kids that are just, that it fails to be adopted. And I really love what you said, Lauren, 
there's this percentage of people that were going to do it anyway. They're already, you know, they're great at their job and they're going to figure it out. And I was just helping them a little bit, you know, um, this makes it even better, this, this cognitive coaching, but there's the people, there's a much larger swath in the middle that you can really help with by, by getting them to own it. And that helps the kids even more. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not worried about them. They're going to, you know, they're motivated and they're self-starters. Anyhow, I don't need to help them with initiative. You know, they're going to figure it out. They're going to, you know, strive to achieve with their students. And um, it's sort of the other ones that, you know, have been slower to adopt. You know, those are the ones that I'm focusing on. How can I support them? All right. So switching gears a little bit away from coaching, let's talk about AAC Awareness Month. So at the time of this recording, it's towards the end of April uh, 2020 when we're recording this, right in the middle of the pandemic. Next month is is May, which is Better Speech and Hearing Month, right? Um, and you've you've done stuff in the past for AAC Awareness Month. So let's let's what have you done? What are some of the strategies? What are some of the things that people could do and replicate? Let's hear all about it. Yeah. So. Um... AAC Awareness Month is in October, and this year we are, our program is at a brand new school with brand new administration, and um, so we wanted to take advantage of an opportunity to do some, some teaching, and um, I had a parent approach me and ask about last year, actually, um, about doing some AAC Awareness something, a day, a week, a month. And so we decided to do um, an AAC Awareness Week because that felt a little more tangible than a whole month. Um, though, of course, we celebrate it all month. We celebrate AAC Awareness every day. But so we started planning what AAC Awareness Week could look like. And um, we did a combination of things. We started the week off with an AAC coffee cart. And so we had a local place donate coffee and donuts. We set up a cart on every floor of the school. They all had um, a high-tech device, a low-tech device, and a mid-tech device. Also some PEX pictures and um, all sorts of things. And people had to request whether they wanted coffee, tea, water, donuts, whatever, all using assistive technology. So that was really cool. It got teachers involved and excited um, on Monday morning. We also had one of our fourth graders who is an AAC user do the fourth grade floor with his mom, which was really cool. And so we got really great feedback from the staff. A lot of it was, oh my gosh, that's so hard. Wow, that gives me such an appreciation for what these AAC users are doing. I'm like, yeah, see? So we have to support them so much. Um, and so that was really awesome. We also did um, t-shirts. So I think we had like 45 people buy AAC awareness shirts. Wow. Cool. And yeah, so it was everybody from administration to specials teachers, assistants, people that worked with AAC users, people that have never maybe worked with an AAC user, but they know them because they're in our building. They bought the shirts um, and we're so excited and proud to wear them. And the kids that were the AAC users, a lot of them bought the shirts too. So it was cool for them to see their teachers standing in solidarity with them as well. Mm -hmm. And then Wait, what, what do they look like? What do the t-shirts look like? Oh, I should have worn my t-shirt today. <laughs> oh, I should have worn mine. <laughs> it's a little picture of a device, and it has a little speech bubble that says AAC. And on the back, it says, 
AAC because systematically organized communication tools for visually supporting language development is a little wordy. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> and it. And that quote is not my own. I, I found that on the internet posted somewhere, but I thought it was super cute and, um, the shirts turned out super cute. Uh, so yeah, they had the, the t-shirts and then we, we actually did classroom lessons and every almost every single classroom. I think there were just a handful that just didn't work out, but almost every single classroom from pre-K to fifth grade had an AAC lesson. And this was um, a combination of a little bit of a short like PowerPoint of like, what is AAC to time for them to explore devices? So we had, I don't know, Lauren, how many devices do you think we had? Um, we had groups of probably three or so or four kids. And then we gave each group um, experience with a low tech, a mid tech and a high tech device. So, uh, or low and mid, they got either one or the other, and then they got a high tech device. So they were like groups of three and four in each classroom. And then, um, yeah, I, yeah, and they all had a little task. So um, we had like little sen like little tasks they had to do. So like tell somebody what your favorite food is using the communication device. Or sometimes they would be really sort of hard things that they're they're given a very simple low tech device, and and they would come to us and say, well, I can't, I can't talk about this. This only has four words on it, and I'm like. Oh. Look at you, future SLP. <laughs> and the best part was we used our cognitive coaching on them. And we said, so what, what might you do differently next time that you're interacting with an AAC user? Or, you know, how does this change your thinking about it? And, you know, we, we asked them some probing questions to kind of get them thinking about their experience and reflecting on how they can support AAC users, what they might have learned um, about the systems, like how complex they are and how, and a lot of them would say something like, I couldn't find the words really quickly or uh, Brittany, what else did they say? They would, you know, and then they said, now I realize how hard it is or why he doesn't say what he wants right away, but then he has a really long answer when he does. Um, yeah, I think it gave them a, a really good perspective of wait time and how important wait time is. And that wait time, that pause, you know, while we often feel awkward when we have pauses in conversation, we have to sort of normalize that pause because it's okay for us to wait for, for somebody to, to create their message because it's not traditionally how we do it. We, it's a little bit harder. It's more complex for our AAC users. So it allowed the students to see, wow, he has a lot of really cool things to say. He is just like me. He just needs a little bit of extra time. And if I give him that extra time, we can have a conversation about Harry Potter or pad tie or whatever it is that he wants to talk about. <laughs> what a fantastic way to raise the awareness school-wide for every, for, and th those kids will be changed forever, become better communication partners. Definitely. And, and I feel like we saw, I mean, that, that sort of launched us into um, this AAC lunch bunch that we started with a, a particular student where we started um, four sessions with the same two students. So we would deploy, for us, it was Lampwords for Life out to their personal learning devices, and they would get it for the duration of these four weeks. And they would come to um, a lunch bunch with us. And, and let me just tell you that I, I left it up to the, to the fourth grade teacher. I said, how do you want to do this? Do you want me to come in and ask the, the class who would like to be a part of this? She came back to me and she's like, they all do. 
every single one of the kids want to be a part of this. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I was like, all right, so give me the class roster and we'll just start pulling them off. And so every time when I'd come up, you know, the week before, make sure they had the app installed. We'd enroll them into a Google Classroom where they had a picture of the layout and they'd have an entrance criteria where we asked a couple of questions such as, um, how much do you know about AAC? What do you know? How fast are you? Are you turtle speed? Are you, you know, so we kept it pretty simple. So they weren't overwhelmed, but every time I'd walk into the classroom, they'd be like, is it me? What am I? I, I my name is on the list too. And like, I know, I know we'll get to you. Yeah. The wait list was hard to manage. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but we but wanted to keep it smaller so that we had the opportunity to give each of those students the licenses for the devices so that they had the time during that month or so. Um, and also it just kept it more intimate where they could actually form authentic friendships through it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we lived someplace like in a society where you could just give those licenses to the entire classroom and they all had it, right? You didn't have to do two or three at a time, you know? <laughs> I know. If I were rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this actually launched um, us into, you know, me with my research background. I was like, all right, well, let's do some action research with this because we had this really motivated group of students. And um, then we had our SMART goal for our teacher evaluation process. So Brittany and I said, all right, let's do this and we'll take some data on this and let's ask, you know, the question like, what happens when fourth grade students learn about and practice using AAC, you know, in this small group for authentic communication? Like what happens, you know, when this, when we do this? So that so, sort of launched us into a whole nother big project. And so what happens? <laughs> <laughs> what are the results? It's amazing. The kids say stuff like, I love this group. I don't want to go anywhere else. No, I, it can't be over. They, um, oh gosh, we have so many pieces of evidence. So it ended up being that, of course, it ended up being kind of mixed methods, right? So we got some quantitative data from the students about how their speed and accuracy, and, and then we also got some information about their feelings. And um, before the COVID closure, we were hoping to do follow-up exit interviews so that we could say, you know, like, what was the best thing about being in AAC Lunch Bunch? And what did you learn? And what do you want to share with, you know, somebody else who hasn't done it yet? Um, how has it changed your perspective? So uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to our follow-up um, video interviews, but we were seeing some great evidence already of that the friendships that we're developing, um, the increased understanding about the advantages and also the challenges of using AAC in the classroom and also like across other settings, not just, you know, in the classroom. Um, we had a surprise fire drill, not fire drill during one of them. Um, so that was a really good experience for the students. Like, what do I do when I'm in, um, when I'm in a classroom with a power chair user and it's a multi-floor building and he can't use the elevator? Like, mm -hmm. how then can I support him and his AAC use in this setting? You know, little did I know that they had had a fire drill. So, because I work in a consultation role, I'm not at the school all day, every day. So I used to go for the lunch bunch, you know, and then go be there a little before, you know, to the lunch bunch. And I, I, I wasn't there. And I didn't realize that at nine o'clock in the morning, the students had had a planned fire drill. And that at noon, 1230 lunchtime, 
that during the AAC lunch bunch, that it was a real fire alarm going off at the school. So it was um, interesting. I mean, it was a good experience because that you never know what is going to happen. Um, so we were able to, you know, get through that and, and talk about that. Um, we had other things that kind of came out of their group. One of the students came back one time and he said, my dad asked me, why am I in AAC lunch bunch if I don't use AAC to communicate? And we're like, so what'd you say? Yeah, yeah we, we totally posed it back to him. We're like, well. Yes, why are you in the lunch bunch? Why are you here? <laughs> and what did he say? You're the, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Go ahead, Lauren, you can finish it. <laughs> So we're like, so what did you say? And he goes, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, I'm so glad that you came back to us so that we could talk about it. And then you can go back to him and ask him. So we asked the other students and we said, well, what, why are you here? What are we doing here? It was totally student-led. It was great. The students came up with really good authentic answers. And one of them said, you know, well, I might get a job with somebody who uses AAC and now I know what to do or I know how to communicate better with that person when I'm, you know, working with them. I thought, well, that's really, you know, reflective in the future for a fourth grader to say about a job he might have. Of course, Brittany and I use that as a little seed opportunity to say, oh, you know, maybe you could even design something, look at real world problems that AAC users have, and you could be a developer of something new. Um, but they had, you know, it, it, it came out like, it's really important to know how other people communicate or, you know, what if I have laryngitis one day, maybe I can use AAC to help me. Um, and, and I'll say too, like the best part is our student was a part of all these conversations. And so like, while his classmates are saying these things, he's also chiming in, he's giving his perspective. They're looking to him, they're asking him questions. And it really truly was, such an authentic experience for everybody there and of course Lauren and my, and my hearts were like bursting out of our chest because we're like oh my god this is so great can we just do this every day we kept snapping screenshots of what they were saying because they were saying things like I love to be here and this is the best ever do we have to go to recess and yes. it was awesome and, and it's really I think special especially for this student because because of his motoric challenges, he gets fed lunch. And during that time, he doesn't often get the opportunity to socialize like a lot of fourth graders do. They're talking during lunch. He, he doesn't have that flexibility really. So um, for lunch bunch, he actually would have his lunch fed to him prior to so that he was ready and available and his fingers were ready to, to talk during the the lunch bunches. And I think that's so great. It, it gave him these opportunities to formulate these authentic friendships where maybe he he doesn't always get them and um i had a check-in with him and his mom last week via virtual um microsoft teams and the first thing he said to me is oh my gosh lunch bunch what are we gonna do we only got one session with our last group and so it's so funny to me like that's the first thought on his mind he really values that time he wants to teach his friends but he also wants those those friendships. So we're working through how we can potentially continue it. So, yeah, it, this time is hard for everybody and trying to brainstorm what those, uh, what those new, what that would look like. But I mean, it's possible, right? It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, let me ask you, people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, hmm, maybe I could do a lunch bunch. Do you have any like 
pitfalls or like, yeah, okay, well, here's what you wouldn't want to do. Um, like stay away from this. Cause we tried that and it failed miserably or, you know, what, what, what kind of kind of advice would you give somebody who wanted to start and do kind of replicate what you've done? I think picking, um, working, of course, with a classroom teacher, like the general education classroom teacher, and establishing a good relationship with that person that you're going to do the lunch bunch with is really helpful because they can kind of guide you like, hey, I think I think these kids would be great for starters. I think these kids would be really eager. Um, really getting that feedback from the teacher. I also... I think at first we were like, we're going to do one month. And then we realized that like, there's an assembly on a Friday and then like the student is sick. And so I actually had a student that came to my office one day when the student was out and she was, in, she was um, one of the peers in the lunch bunch. And she said, well, this means we only have three lunch bunches. So does that mean we're not going to get our fourth one? And they really look forward to it. Like they're so excited. They're learning. They're taking these devices home and they're learning. They're excited to show you. And so I would say, make sure that like we decided we're going to do four, no matter what, it doesn't have to fall perfectly in a month. We're going to stick to four and the kids look forward to it. And um, I would say that that is something that we learned to, to really do that way. Um, yeah. We also wanted to see what the, like, um, the threshold was to kind of have this cognitive shift in understanding about a peer um, without um, impacting the um, the scheduling was really hard, right? So we wanted to, we, we used lunch because it was a time that A, was already, you know, time for socialization, um, but the student was kind of missing out on, but it allowed a little bit more flexibility because it wasn't during content core, um, you know, academic time. And we were like, what's the smallest amount of time that we can do an intervention essentially, or that we would do this kind of instruction, the special instruction for a few students in general education to make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. So we did four 20 minute sessions, but the 20 minutes kind of sometimes ended up being more like 30 or by the time the students transitioned, but it was 20 minutes of the intervention. But then I almost hate calling it intervention. So one thing that if people are replicating this is we left it student-led on purpose. Mm -hmm. We did not have an agenda. We might have had an idea like we hope that students will learn some core words or we maybe like gave a couple ideas and guided like, oh, well, what are some words that you use all the time that you might want to teach your friends, you know, but we weren't like they have to learn, you know, the first 10 core words and they have to, you know, be this speed or whatever. We're going to introduce the activity. They organically came out of their interactions. So one of the students had suggested in one lunch bunch that we do, um, uh, pretend like we were a restaurant because he saw something in Brittany's office and or in her room and it was like a little barbecue set and had a little um, menu so he's like let's do you know a, a restaurant theme you know and, and like order using AAC and so it just kind of came out but we didn't plan that at all mm -hmm. the kids led the group and I think that's what's so that's what worked is that, you know, I think a pitfall would be like, if you had your own agenda and you were trying to push it, it might not be as authentic and organic and that friendship might not develop because 
it's too much you, it's too much adult centered, it's not kid centered. So this was all student centered. They came up with the ideas, they taught each other. The AAC user was the leader. One of the groups called him the drill sergeant because he kept saying, do the pattern five times, but it was coming from him. <laughs> yeah. You know, another plan for whatever sentence or. I think all therapy intervention and really school should be like, listen to what, what you, Lauren just said, go back, listen, rewind the last 15 to 20, maybe the last two minutes of what she was just saying and take out the word AAC and just put in any other, like let's make all learning student, student driven, right? Uh, how much more benefit would come out rather than pushing our agenda, we follow theirs. You know? Totally. Yeah, it's like we talk about cognitive coaching for the adult learners, but what about our students? You know, what what do they, when we talk about, you know, even like I'm determined and their self-advocacy, like what are their goals? You know, it's not just about the adult saying, you have to do this. And, you know, I mean, we're there to guide them, but I, that would be great. <laughs> that well, you, is, you just dropped a term. Sorry. <laughs> you just dropped a term there, though, that only... Um, uh, one state in out of 50 will understand, let alone the rest of the country. What's I'm determined? So I'm determined is a, um, a curriculum that Virginia um, developed, I guess, uh, they um, about self-advocacy and participation, particularly for students who are um, who have IEPs to be more involved in their IEP planning and participation in their IEP process so they can talk about their disability, advocate for themselves once they've transitioned to adulthood. So um, it's imdetermined.org. You can check it out. It's open source, you know, available. Yeah, and um, they even have a really nice summit where the students um, can present their work and a conference where students talk about how they participated in I'm Determined and develop their own self-advocacy and it's student-led examples. It's wonderful. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. So many good ideas, so many strategies. You don't have to wait for AAC Awareness Month or week, or you could, like you said, any day can be. You can. You don't have to wait. You can start right now. Yeah. So I like to wrap up the interviews with uh, Lauren. But what you were sort of saying about this self-driven follow the the your follow your passion as you're learning as students, and that's what I feel like we should do as adults is follow our passion. What are you curious about? And so since you're both very invested in AAC and and learning about AAC. What has been on your mind recently in the world of AEC? What has got you curious? What are you, what are you questing after? What do you want to learn more about? Yes, I think this is something that Lauren and I, uh, we talk about a lot and we agree. Uh, we're probably going to have a pretty similar thing here, but um, we talk a lot about building capacity and building capacity amongst um, the school, but also building capacity with families and supporting families of AAC users. That's something especially right now for me as I'm giving, providing virtual services that I'm learning a lot about what are the best ways that I can reach families through coaching, through video modeling? Is it through me watching them and providing feedback later? So um, I always am thinking, you know, AAC isn't something that just a speech therapist handles. And I think like we talked about earlier, it's, it, we're changing. We're in a changing time, which is amazing and wonderful. And I think that people are starting to realize that, okay, this isn't just something that comes out when the speech therapist comes in the room. Like this is their mode of communication. So I think continuing to build capacity 
in the world for AAC users is always on my mind. How can I continue to, to build this capacity and use my skill set to help others? Because this is something that they need all the time. Lauren? Um, I would say, you know, I, I've been really curious about and thinking, especially in light of the COVID-19 closure and looking at supporting the mental health of um, of everybody, not, not just AAC users, but staff and students and families. And so, um, you know, I'm curious too in thinking about how I can do a better job in my own practice in supporting mental health um, and looking at, you know, I feel like as an SLP, we just were, were trained to like be awesome at like linguistic, like the grammatical, morphographical, like we, that is our bread and butter, right? We're, we're trained in that way to like really fine tune and attend to linguistic competencies and those skills and helping that. But like, what about everything else that is equally as important for our AAC users? And I feel like um, in my role as um, a, specialist i hate saying that word whatever what's your term chris you have you have such an awesome term you're you're a facilitator yes inclusive design facilitator yes i'm going to use that inclusive design facilitator um you know what can i do to support the mental health and um of my staff that i'm working with because i feel like they sometimes are like, I don't know what else to do. And so maybe it, maybe some of it is cognitive coaching and, and maybe some of it is, I don't know, other healthy practices. So I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm also looking at um, like leveraging this increased interest and awareness about accessibility right now during this time and how you know, everybody is realizing now things that we've been saying for years about accessibility and like, what can we do to keep moving forward in this direction? I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what it's going to look like when we go back to school, if we do, like what that looks like. But I just really hope that we can put some systematic supports in place to support accessibility um, and increased awareness and, and, and leverage that as a result of this horrible pandemic that we're going through to make things better when we go back and not slip back into world of inaccessibility or a world of exclusion, like looking at equity and looking at inclusive practices for everybody and for all. How can we be better at that? So um, I'm excited about that. I feel like there's a lot of energy and um, especially in our um, work circles about that, and um, I'm excited to be part of this next phase. We're so lucky that we have so many more tools and that technology is in our favor. Um, so, you know, possibilities are endless, and I think um, it's an exciting time to be in this field. I could not agree more with, with both of your statements. I'm curious about both of those things. Um, I also, too, Lauren, super excited to be part of it and help push us in that direction. Uh, I agree. This, this is the silver lining of the whole pandemic is uh, how, how many more teachers are aware of accessibility now and inclusive practices than ever before. Um, so we'll take that. We'll take that as something good to look at and point at some good news, you know? <laughs> And now more than ever, people are asking, not just in our field, like they're talking about what are real world problems and what are solutions. And those are the professions of the future. Um, interestingly enough, my brother is very um, forward thinking and he told 
um, he told our dad, he wrote him a letter from summer camp and he goes, hey, radical dude, you know, back in the early 90s, <laughs> I figured it out and he solved all these problems. And my mom, you know, used to ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I'm going to be a job that hasn't been invented yet. And sure enough, that's exactly what he is. He's a job that hasn't been invented yet, you know, or wasn't invented at the time. But I think that's so cool about our students, they, they are going to be in jobs that haven't been invented yet. And that's what's so awesome about technology and like thinking about what's real world problem to anchor and then making whatever your mind can come up with, you know, endless possibilities really. So it's so cool, like a time that we're in. Great. Well, thank you both for your time. And I really appreciate us, you know, you coming on and taking the time to share those strategies. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And if you're listening, um, how do they, how do people reach out to you? Uh, you can email me. I'm at lauren.bonnet at apsva.us. Um, maybe you can post it in the show notes. I'll spell it out for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And also you can email me at brittany.thomas at apsva.us. And Lauren, aren't you on Twitter? Yeah, you can um, contact me or follow me. I'm at APS underscore Aztec, A-S-T-E-C-H. Okay, and Brittany? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. And I'm at MS for Miss Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, S-L-P. And of course, you can follow Talking With Tech at Talking With Tech. And thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Lauren and for Brittany for being on the show. And we'll talk to you next week. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.